Blog Talk Radio. Yes. Hey. There we go. 
There we go. So now we have Danny awesome. Girl on the line. And next we have Atheist MC, a member of Grand Unified. His single, Think Before You Speak, is now available on SoundCloud. I'm going to post that link in the chat room for you. Adequate. Yo. I'm sorry. Say oh. it again. Hello? Say, say what again? Oh. <laughs> yes, I'm Hello? adequate. <laughs> I'm trying to Hello? find a good signal. Can you hear me? Hello? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay. We can hear you. I'm sorry. Oh, hi. Oh. Hi. Welcome. Hi. Uh, oh. This is this is Miss Tamara McDaniel, and uh, I have a little something to add about the pot situation. Okay. Well, uh, I, uh, I, I, uh, oh, I don't oh. smoke any. I'm sorry? I was going to say, hold, just hold tight. We're not going to, we're not jumping directly into the pot topic just yet. We're going to get through a se- uh, one or two segments before we jump into the pot segment first. But but I love pot. Okay, no problem. <laughs> I think we... <laughs> I'm not excited about the topic. That's what we want to have here. It looks like we have a few other people on the line. Uh, caller 818. If your area code is 818, say your name. Oh, 818, that's me. What was your name again? Tamara? Tamara. Tamara McDaniel. The famous Tamara McDaniel? This is she. <laughs> I can't <laughs> work at you. <laughs> Very excited, Tamara McDaniel. That's who we got here. Um, I have, I'm not sure, 773. Who's that? Call her 773. That's me. I'm just listening in. This is yeah, me. I'm just listening in. Oh, that's. It's oh, okay. Kimmy. And, okay. Looks like everybody's on the line. Well, thank you so much for joining us, everyone. Uh, I think MC Brooks has a, some hot topics for us right now. Sure do. All right. Well, goodness, we have a long laundry list of stuff that we can get through. So I figure we start out with probably the most controversial, um, most or one that's caused one of the most con- the, one of the biggest controversies this past week which is the Supreme Court struck down section 4 of the Voting Rights Act this past Tuesday for those of you that are unaware of what um section 4 is section 4 is the provision of the landmark civil rights law that designates which parts of the country must have changes to their voting laws cleared by the government or in federal court so basically in a nutshell you know, certain states can't just make laws willy-nilly. They have to go through the government to get the okay for some of these laws. And this was <clears throat> this was first implemented because, you know, obviously um, they tried uh, voter suppression was nothing new. And in, in, um, in the 1960s, of course, they wanted to suppress the black vote, and they would do that by implementing all these different you know, uh, tests and whatnot to try to discourage folks from voting. And so this past week, the Supreme Court struck down Section 4, basically saying, uh, you know, I think things have changed in the last 50 years, so we can just get, a, we can just get rid of all that. And so they did. Wow. <laughs> I know. That's in a like nutshell. A- it's like a big slap. It's like a big slap in the civil rights face. You know, What's even crazier is that 
Texas didn't even wait to change their laws, or at least attempt to. They had their law on speed dial. They were like, up, oh, it's gone? All right, cool. Shipped, <laughs> they shipped, shipped that joint right on over. They wasted They wasted no time. And I think that's, I I, I, I think that's absolutely shameful. I mean, I, I always think it's kind of interesting that this notion that people seem to think that things have really changed all that much in the last 50 years. I mean, you know, uh, we, you know, blacks and whites integrated, and, you know, there have been leaps and bounds that have, that have been made as far as race relations and mm-hmm. as far as opportunity goes for opportunities for minorities. But we still have a, a really, really, really long way to go. Yeah, but this alone shows us. I was just gonna say, I was just gonna say, this alone shows shows us that a lot of attitudes haven't changed at all towards my minorities. That's right. But people seem to have this notion that, like, we live in a post-racial society. Like, you know, we have Barack Obama as the president. You know, we have we have black entertainers, excuse me, entertainers and black people and really prominent positions in different fields. So people seem to think, you know, hey, it's equal, you know, stuff's changed, stuff is different. We don't really need a lot of this old stuff that was that was put in place. Which is obviously far from the which is far from the truth. Anyone who saw the the extent that Republicans went to suppress voters in last year's election should know that, you know, things haven't changed that much. And basically, it's just another means of getting poor people and people of color to not vote. You know, it's just making it harder for them to do so. They're going to do anything they can to make it harder for us to vote, but they're going to say, but they're not going to just, of course, they're not going to just save that. Having to do so much just to vote, the average poor person, the average, not even just race, or it's a class thing, voting race. Right. Well, the voter ID laws disenfranchise not only people of color. I mean, it disenfranchises a lot of young people because a lot of young people don't have their IDs. And then you have a lot of elderly people who may not have the ability to get these IDs. And and many of these things are were prevented from these states from doing these things, trying to change their voter laws because of the Voting Rights Act. And it's interesting to me that they wait, not only did they not waste any time, they were adamant about pushing this through. And I find that extremely sad. And the fact that the Supreme Court would even want to rule that as something that they want to get rid of makes no sense to me either, especially since the Supreme Court is what, Made that, you know, forcible. So. Makes right. perfect sense to me. Yeah, me too. Um, it looks right. like we have some other callers on the line, and I want to also give them an opportunity to speak. I have callers. Oh, Marissa. Hey, Marissa. Hey, hear me, Marissa? There we go. Yeah, I can hear you. Can you guys hear me? Hey, what's going on? Man, I'm excited about this program. Great topics. I I think um, I'm pr- I might be on my own with this one, but I I don't believe that the act that was passed with the voting 
necessarily uh, breaks the Constitution. I think that, that, that the Constitution, really as we know it, is a blanket federal level, and that Voter Registration <coughs> Act that was being pushed uh, was really kind of identifying and focusing in on very specific states without giving that same level of scrutiny to all states, which then would be in violation of state state rights. So in a very legal sense, I understand why that was overturned. But with that much said, I do think that those states that are very, very suspect, like Texas and Florida, deserve to have the spotlight on them. Thank you. That's actually a good point. I didn't even think about it in that way. I also right. want to get some, looks like we have someone from the line, 954. You want to weigh in on this topic? Hi, everyone. Um, this is Evelyn. Hey, what's going um, on, Evelyn? Oh, hi, um, I just wanted to, um, someone, I, I forget who, just said something right now about, um, you know, being able to get IDs and things like that. Now, I was reading an article about, um, oh, you know, the, tech, the changes that Texas has implemented, and it says, in, um, the article on thinkprogress.org, and I'm reading directly from the article now, that there is a strict photo ID um, requirement. And it says that they will accept ex even expired gun licenses from other states and consider that as a valid form of voting ID, but not Social Security cards and student IDs. And what that says to me is they are trying to suppress the votes of those that are most likely to vote liberal, which are the elderly and disabled and the young, the student generation. Right. I mean, right. this is this. That's clearly what you're trying to do when you say that your your student ID from you know a public or private state university or your social security card are not good enough, but even an expired gun license is good enough. Um, and and these are not people that usually have gun licenses either. Students and the elderly, you know, um, usually don't have guns anymore. Most of the older people you see with guns are those who had them, you know, from the time they were young. Right. And if you are in an assisted living facility, you can't have a gun. It's, it's I mean, it's just one of those situations where it, it, it's clear that you know we are trying to cordon off demographic that is um, would be would most readily oppose the GOP. Right. I mean, I guess they kind of they realize that their image their image is so tainted among young people among and among minorities that there's no way to really court them as they you know as they tried to do with some of the candidates that they had so the best the best way to go about it is just exclude them all together that's a new mm -hmm. strategy mm -hmm. and i mean I, and this is something that i said before as well when i first read through all of this i mean it's easy for this for 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 um the black community to see this as an attack on 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 black voting rights and it, that is true however what it is really is an attack on the voting rights of of the the, the influx of immigrants that will be coming into this country that will probably also be liberal and being able to suppress black voters is just the cherry on top um, because what you have right now, especially in Texas, is a country that is comprised 51% of quote-unquote minorities. That is a problem. That is why Texas was the one, 
were first one to strike, and I would bet any money that Arizona would be next because they've been complaining about an immigrant problem for years. The conservatives in that country are fed up. They are they see progress being made, and they blame their immigrant demographic for that. You know, if I if I can jump in, I think um, I think the overall big picture more than just immigrants or or a black issue. I think that it's symptomatic of what's taking place in uh, from multiple angles in this nation, which is a war on the classes. You know, really the working class and the poor are the ones that are affected by major legislation. And so, as we saw over the last eight years. By put food on their table or keep a roof over their head, they suddenly find the motivation and the time to get out and vote. And that, honestly, is what, you know, really was the swing vote in the last two elections. I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. And, I mean, I'm living in Florida, and everybody knows the debacle that happened with Florida during the last election. Everyone's votes were counted except for Florida's, and it was a ratchet mess. But in three different districts, well, three that I that I, I heard of before I stopped paying attention, um, they, they there was accusation of voting fraud, and that was West Palm Beach, um, um, West Palm Beach County, Broward County, and Miami Dade County, huge minority districts. Um, then um, those accusations never came to light. Um, it was just hearsay and talk, and and basically overblown. But then you had smaller um, areas in Central and North Florida where there was actual voting fraud happening where people were tampering with the voting machines. People were told that um, it was too late and they couldn't come in to vote anymore. Like, this was actually happening. Um, And this is just in this one state. There were so many other states where there was so so many of these other things going on. People would say, I would vote for one person, and the machine would count my vote for someone else. And, you know, that just reminded, to me, this is the new technological version of the literacy test. Um, you know, you know, you can read, and we have these touch screens, but I'm just going to make it so that whatever, it doesn't matter who you put in. You vote for who I want you to vote for. And these new laws are a legal way of doing what was done in the last two elections um, where you don't have to rig the machine anymore if you can rig the entire system. I see an actual, it's like a little bit of a, I don't know if it's a debate yet, but Free Thinking Lady in the chat room uh, pointed out that race and class aren't separate. And um, I noticed Marissa's response, and if she would like to address it on the air since she's on the air. Uh, she's listening. Because I have a, a wild do going on in my background. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, was, I was just saying that there are, and historically, even since the 1800s, let me just focus in on the African-American community rather than generalize all the way across the board. There are, you know, wealthy, upper-class, conservative African-Americans who even since the late 1800s held a seat in the Senate. Not, not saying that there were a ton of them, but they existed. And so I, I think that that's not the vote necessarily that, and let's be real here, conservative Republicans are pushing for a lot of this voter suppression uh, have a problem with. They welcome those votes as long as it falls in line with their conservative agenda. What happened, the shift that we saw, and the emphasis on voter suppression, in my opinion, stems from the working class feeling the pinch of the economy swinging far, far away from 
from their ability to keep up with it, and when you when you couple that with the fact that there is a pinch being placed on social services, all of a sudden those people woke up and realized that they have to be a part of the process, and that's where we saw a lot of the votes come from. Mm-hmm. I actually want to I want to clear some things up for people who are listening. Um, yes, we are talking about marijuana laws today and decriminalization. This will be a little bit later. We're going to get to some of these recent topics because we saw Facebook buzzing today. And we'll all week mm-hmm. about all these various topics. We're going to make sure that you guys have a chance to express that. So this is on blast. On blast, we just how we put it all on blast. Don't worry, we're going to get to the marijuana decriminalization conversation. Um, we still want you guys to weigh in on some of these topics. Um, at Can Facebook, someone please put... put can someone put Jesse Jackson on blast for running to um, Paula Dean's defense? That yeah. Wow. Because that just happened. I just saw. I just saw. I just saw it today. And Jesse Jackson. This this is after right after Al Sharpton jumped to her defense, but now Jesse Jackson says he wants to help her because he doesn't want to see Paula being made into an I quote sacrificial lamb. Oh okay. Can you post that link in the chat, please? Yes, I will. And we're going to come back to that. I think that's a really good one to come back to. Um, MC Brooks, what else did you have for us? And we'll get back to that once you post that link. Okay, let's see what I have here in the good old queue. Um, let's see. Where, oh, crap, where's the one I just had? Okay. <laughs> the famous Creation Museum, um, well, the one that's, I'm actually not quite sure where it is, but we all we're all aware of the Creation Museum. Uh, can't really say where it is. They're running into financial trouble due to declining attendance. Um, you know, uh, the article I was just reading just a second ago, before my browser decided to shut me out. Um, crap, here it is. Um, well, is, oh, yeah. is starting to they're starting to lose money. Mm-hmm. You know, right. just as they were starting I think we to blame, create, I think we can blame the huge, the huge um, atheist presence on the internet for that. For putting, yeah, <laughs> putting it on blast for one. I really do because it's like <laughs> it's it's like so many of us always talk about how we don't meet enough atheists, you know, um, offline, but online, not only and it was in atheist groups, but just random things posted by random people and the influx of information presented, even YouTube, the atheist vids have all these thumbs up and the Christian videos have all the thumbs down and they have to have their comments and their, their likes disabled because of all the criticism. And it's like yep. people re- re- are realizing, that, well, you know, the, the information is at your fingertips. If there's something you want to know and you, ha- you can use the computer and you have it, the Internet, the only re- way you can't know it is if you don't go looking for it or the information doesn't exist. And people are looking, and it makes less and less sense. And people are bringing their young children, their teenagers, to these museums. Those kids have a computer. It, it probably sounds ridiculous because in, in third grade, their teacher told them that a T-Rex was a carnivore, and then they go to the museum and they see somebody happily riding on the back of a Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what? Like, what is this? Like, so he didn't eat that kid? He let him climb on top of him? Gene, I'm going to couple this with uh, another article that we had. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm just in the gut on MC Brooks on this one. But, um, uh, it's, probably, it's probably the same one the, about the young people. Yes. So, if for those of you guys who don't know, 
uh, young people in Britain have basically turned against religion. <laughs> and uh, the poll for the Sun found intense hostility towards religion among 18 to 24-year-olds and very low levels of belief in God. 41% of young people told pollsters religion is more often cause of evil in the world, while only 14% said it was a cause for good. So I thought that was very interesting, and especially if we couple that with what you just said, Emmeline, that we're having an increased presence online addressing a lot of what, you know, these creationists are putting out. But this is not science-based, it's based off of some, someone's imagination. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, oh, I, I mean, you can't, you, you sometimes... Where are these atheists? Oh, I'm sorry, Evelyn. Give me a second. I really want um, Addison and Deanna to jump in on this because they um, they actually had volunteers to be our panelists. So let's go to them first, and we'll give it to everyone else. Um, Adequate. What do you think about that? I mean, I think it shows progress. If anything, that um, the younger kids in in the UK, they're they're reaching the level of reasoning, you know, because they see it now on the Internet, just like she was saying before. Like, <clears throat> plus I'm pretty sure a lot of them are in school, and they say, like, when kids go to college and they take an evolutionary course, they tend to end up to be um, come out of um, college atheists. So I think it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I think the younger the, the better. Oh, sorry. The younger the better? Is that what you just said? Okay. Sienna, what do you think? I was just about to ask, where are these 18 to 24-year-olds? Because I am, I'm 25, and all of my friends are religious, and I kind of, like, can't have conversations with them regarding religion because I'm always like, oh, we know where this one's going. So I, I, think, I think it's a wonderful thing, of course. Um me personally, I got out of religion because I did my research. It was just so much out there. And, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. With so much being thrown at our faces, we are the, you know, the technology generation. We, yep. we, we get so much. We can get so much information at once, so we don't have to rely on mom and dad and school and pastors to tell us what we need to know about life. So it's kind of hard to keep those in front of you. So it makes sense that so many people my age and younger are stepping away from religion. It makes perfect sense to me. Now, I I have another call on the line, caller 310. Um, did you want to jump in on this? Hey, I am enjoying this show. What's up, everybody? Thank you. Like, who is it? It's coming. I'm just, I'm just listening and enjoying the show, and I just want to say, I tip my hat to everybody on this line um, to be on the phone listening to some black free-thinking people of color. Yes, black people. I'm sorry. Black people of color. I'm sorry. (laughs) As opposed to those black people who are not of color. I got you, Comey. I'm just saying. I was just, you know, like the young lady just, I'm listening, you know, and I'm laughing at, you know, some of the things that I'm hearing. And the young lady just spoke and said that, you know, 
she can't talk to some of her peers about religion, and I'm just I I laugh because it's like I feel like that about some of the people I know, and I'm I mean I'm just keeping it 100, you know what I'm saying? And it's just it's still kind of shocking to me to just be in this mind frame because I you know I never thought that I would see myself thinking the way that I do now. So I just wanted to give you guys kudos for for just even doing this. Thank you, Comey. We appreciate your support. And um, for those of you guys who don't know, Comey is actually one of my fellow Black Skeptics LA members. So her and her support and insight is very important to us. Are you going to stay on the line with us, Comey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, listen, I'll be on mute because I'm I am driving, and you know I want that in the background. <laughs> but I'm <am> listening. <laughs> okay, great. For those of you guys who are calling in. Make sure that you press 1 so we know that you want to be on the air. Otherwise, we just assume you just want to listen. And that's fine, too. We appreciate everyone who's listening and everyone in the chat room. Um, did you want to stick to this topic? Oh, you know what? Emmeline, I think you have something you want to throw in there. Emmeline. Oh, hold on. Let me, let me try to go back to my <laughs> the same thought that I had. Um, um, Someone said earlier, I believe it was McBrooks who said, about um the younger generation about um about um you know the younger the better because a lot of these um children in the UK are now um coming away from religion and it reminded me of um a while back this was a couple years ago maybe 2 3 years ago maybe even 4 years ago Ray Comfort and Kirk Cameron um got together and um they decided that they were going to pass out copies of The Origin of Species by Charles Darwin at public universities, but it wasn't just any regular origin of species. It was going to um, have a preface by Kirk Cameron in the beginning talking about um, how evolution is, you know, really not scientific fact. And you know their their whole little apologetic speech spiel, and then also a copy of the Bible before the actual origin of species. And um, it was the atheist YouTuber. Um, so my God, it's Chris. Um, and um, she 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 told she 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 sort of years you know they come to a university, just take them because they're actually giving this away for free. And she said, just take the copies and just rip out the Bible part and give give a, a perfectly good copy of The Origin of Species to your friends. <laughs> and it kind of backfired on them in a, in a major way because it was untampered. They didn't they didn't tamper with the actual content in The Origin of Species. They just thought, okay, if we, if we slap a Bible on in front of it, it's going to sway people into seeing the truth of God or some BS. And it ended up backfiring in a major way. And they just gave a whole bunch of college students a free copy of that book. And this is one of the things oh. that the Creationist Museum does. They think they're promoting creationism, but then these these children who are exposed to so much information go to the museum and they see this, and what was supposed to be, you know, so convincing becomes comical. Well, you know, I think... I'm sorry, go ahead. I think you're absolutely yeah, right. A couple people have touched on it. You know, it's like the Internet has really, really expanded information and so people have the ability to you know to learn a little bit more than they did before and I think not to go completely off topic but I think that's what's so frightening to me about state 
like Texas and Louisiana that are altering, you know, history and school books and limiting the amount of science, you know, the real science that's out there is, is that that's, a, that's an attempt of modern-day book burning. But I think it sort of backfires, as someone said earlier, because there's an opportunity to really go out and truth speak, and that's what that's what we're seeing, you know, with with our our young adult population is that they, they are going out there, they are researching and learning and getting multiple perspectives and learning how to discern diluted, incorrect information. Mhm. Yeah, I mean it's a problem in some states because um I've actually I've actually seen and held a copy of a creationist textbook. Um because Louisiana spent, I believe it was twelve million dollars a couple of years ago to promote creationism in their public schools because, you know, they have no other problems there. And, um, <laughs> and wow. so and so the creationist textbook was, you know, actually um there was one excerpt of it and I believe that one went viral and it was saying how um people say that if God, you, if you cannot feel and see God, he can't. He must not be real. Well, you have electricity, and you can't see or feel electricity, but we know that's there. And you know, like this is this is you're seriously putting this book in a public school. I mean, I the fact that these like words that. could could be printed on paper is an abomination to the whole idea of what a book <laughs> should be. <laughs> hey, I like how Emily is like extra dramatic about it. She's like, <laughs> go ahead. What were you going to say, Marissa? A complete lie because we can see and feel electricity, and that's why it's so important to you know to really raise up and make sure that legitimate science remains in our public school system. That argument kind of reminds me of when they say, "Well, you can't see you can't see the wind." But you, no, but you think you can. Okay, but you can feel it. You agree, you know. So, all they're doing is using intellectual dishonesty to get a pass to sell it as education. That's it. Oh, I, I've heard that line too. You can't see the win. And so, like, I, I even I had this discussion with a Christian apologetist, and he was like, "Well, you can't, I, you can't see the win." So I said, "I can see the effects of the win. I can see it moving the trees." And he says, "Well, that's how God is. You're alive. There are trees. There's a sky. There's oceans, and there's the sun. That's the effect of God. Like, if you're that brainwashed, everything is proof to you." Wow. So I'm I'm gonna thank you so much for weighing in on that topic. I'm actually gonna move on to another topic and. Thank you, Emmalyn, for sending us this right now. <laughs> this is the one of us who are kind of just now coming in. Emmalyn informed us that Reverend Jesse Jackson is uh, supporting Paula Dean. So in the article that she sent me um, from BreakingBrown.com, it says Reverend Jesse Jackson agrees to help Paula Dean because she should not be made into a, quote, sacrificial lamb. The civil rights leader and activist, Reverend Jesse Jackson, says he has agreed to help Paula Dean make amends for using a racial slur. Jackson said that even though Dean made the slur, we should not treat her as a sacrificial lamb. In a conversation with the Associated Press, Jackson says he spoke with the celebrity chef and agreed to help her make amends for using a racial slur that has cost Dean lucrative endorsement deals. Jackson said Dean should be reclaimed instead of destroyed and says he is more concerned about job disparities and unemployment than being used of the N-word. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> I 
Now, we, we, we discussed this online, haven't we? I wish Diane would call, because I know she has her opinion on this. I want Deanna. I want Deanna to, uh, Deanna, your, if you want to go ahead and jump in on that one, and then we'll go to Addison, and then we'll throw it to the rest of you. Deanna? Oh, I'm, I'm having my own sidebar and little jokes going on about this one. But, um, <laughs> can, I be, can, I be, can I be honest? Yeah. I have purposely avoided the whole Paula Dean thing on the Internet because, to me, I just, it is no surprise how she feels about, you know, black people, to me. It's no surprise that she really has no clue on what to say and what not to say. I saw the interview with her, um, with her bringing out her token guy that works for her. It was like, he's a part of our family. And to be honest with you, I didn't know about the, the, her saying the N-word and she got robbed on the phone. Well, that's a big deal. But, you know, I, why would Jesse Jackson, of all people, co-sign on this? It, 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 he feeds off of this type of stuff. And now all of a sudden he's like, oh, let's kind of back down on this one. She didn't mean to. She's sorry, you guys. But I don't know. I don't understand it. I want to say, can somebody else help me to understand why Jesse Jackson, of all people, of all people, is kind of pacifying policies? Yeah, I find it interesting how he can be, you know, someone who has had the opportunity to really be a leader, and he's kind of just used it for his own personal gain, and I, I have a big issue with that. Um, adequate, what do you think? Um, is it Jesse Jackson? Well, uh, well, as far as Father Dean, I'm not surprised. With, like the last one, chick said, I'm not surprised at all. And the whole thing with Jesse Jackson wasn't he the same guy who got mad when the sportscaster called the black girls nappy headed hoes or something like that? Yes, right. Yeah, he went in on him, but someone says nigga, and he's like, oh, okay, give him a pass. And I also think she might be giving him a giving him a fat check. To be honest. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Reminds, me of, reminds me of Reverend Rollo Goodfellow from the Boondocks. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, I believe Marissa, you have something you want to say. I believe it was no, Marissa. I'm just, I'm, I'm just uh, kind of listening in. I was just, I honestly don't know what the context of her <clears throat> word was. I think I just heard. Recently, that it was uh, it was brought out in court for some sort of wrongful termination lawsuit that an employee of, or a former employee of hers, you know, lodged against her. So I'm not sure what the context of that use of the word is. I, I think I think a lot of people don't know the situation and what happened yeah. with Paula Dean is. And this is what happened in the deposition. The people who are mad at her about saying the N-word or people like Jesse Jackson who want to defend her saying the N-word as if that's all that happened either just don't understand the issue or they're trying to cover up the larger issue. I personally mm-hmm. am not angry at her for admitting that she said the N-word 20 years ago. She's a white woman from the South. I assume she said it at least once before. The problem right. is, the problem is, what's going on right now with her and her brother's restaurant where they were accused of racism and sexual harassment 
in that right. restaurant. Thank you. Where she right. yes. she's planning oh. where she was planning on making sambo burgers and not saying anything racist about that. Where she wanted right. to have a plantation themed wedding with the yeah. staff dressed as slaves. She's being right. racist and and, right. and 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 accused of sexual harassment and racism right now. So anyone right. actually wears that position isn't angry her. about right. the word. Right. Yeah, exactly. her saying they, her, her saying the word is only part of it, but it's not it's not the biggest it's not the biggest issue that people should that people are actually mad at her about. For those that have and actually that's what read pisses me off about Jesse Jackson is because clearly he knows this. If I can find the information, he can. He's coming to her rescue and pretending like he is trying to save her from the black people that are angry but, about her over the N word and well, not even bringing up any of the other issues. But what I find interesting about Jesse Jackson, and actually, and people also do this, um, which isn't, I'm not trying to say that Dean actively sought him out, but it often seems like when shit happens, when people do shit that offends the black black people, Jesse Jackson or Al Sharpton are like the go-to guys or the guys that whose names often come up when someone's trying to redeem themselves. Yes. You know, yes. I was just going to say a second ago, like, I, you know, be, you know <laughs> every time I try to talk, I get outside of my own show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, I, I, one of my biggest issues with the entire conversation of the Paula Dean situation is that it was minimized down to this N-word conversation, which to me is completely, I don't say completely irrelevant, but it's very misleading. And the reason why I say misleading is now it goes from, hey, Paula Dean has currently done something that is offensive uh, in the, as far as sexual harassment and her racism. And there's another part of the accusation where she supposedly had the black and white staff in different restrooms. I don't know how 100% true that is. That's just something that uh, supposedly came out. But yeah. even in minimizing the conversation to the N-word, it really just finds a way to blame black people for her, for her racism which is what I had a problem with. It went from, oh, we shouldn't use the N-word, I mean, she's used the N-word, and look at how bad that is, to, well, black people use it, so therefore it's now black people's problem and black people's fault that she feels it's okay to use the N-word, which I don't understand that twist. And I, and I yeah. think it's totally deep in the real situation. Yeah, it's a smart move on her PR part. They're totally, they're totally able to change the conversation from what it should be focused on to what they can focus it on, her, her, and and by focusing it on on her saying the n word, like you said, they can e- easily switch it to make it a conversation to oh well, how come black people can say the word? Why can't she say the word? Why does anyone not even have to say the word? As opposed to actually focusing, it's smart on her on her P, on her PR's part if they run with this and try to keep the conversation there versus the lawsuit, which is you know what what it should be about. And this is right. this is why I'm going to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but it's, it's like Peter said, it's almost like every time some one of these things happen, people will run to Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson, and now Paula's got both of them on her team. And it's, it's almost mm-hmm. as if they know that how easily minorities can be herded, and these two were elected or 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 allowed them to, or or put themselves in a position where they were the spokesman for the black community. So. Yeah. Anything they say is okay, the group will consider okay. I'm sure there are thousands of people who were so anti-Paula before, whether or not they knew about the entire deposition. And 
as soon as they get the go-ahead from Jesse, they're going to forgive Paula because Jesse said it's okay. We can we can forgive Paula now, so she's cool. She she we can give her an honorary black card back because Jesse likes <laughs> her and she makes good chicken. <laughs> yeah, I can see that being true, probably for older black folks, but for younger pe- younger folks, you know, in the eighteen, I'd say that like maybe the eighteen to thirty range. I don't think they're they'll really be buying that. Hey, Jesse, Je- Je- Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton don't represent them, or at least as far as I'm concerned, as someone who fits in, into that. I tr- truthfully don't give a rat's a about what Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson have to say about it. I didn't grow up with them. They then I mean, they they had their contributions. I respect what they did, but as far in regards to this, I don't really care what they have to say. And I don't really care how they feel about her or or whether they think she should be forgiven. And I think I mean judging from Twitter and from <clears throat> other social media networks, there are countless amounts of other folks who feel the exact same way. They're still going to hold Paula's feet to the fire for this, regardless mm-hmm. of whether Jesse says we need to just forgive her, and what, regardless of whether Al has anything to say about it at all. I feel like the damage has already been done, though, even by people you say who are in that age group, the 18 to 30 age group. And I agree with you, I'm in that age group. Most of these, most of, most of the people my age don't really know or care about what they have to say, but I already see it going, you know, on my Facebook timelines. I interact with friends. I talk on the phone with friends, and it's all about, well, you know what? This just brings to light some things that we need to change in the community because we need to stop saying the N-word. And I just want to, like, scream, it's not about the N-word. Like, you know, like, people have said it, and they've apologized, and it's been that. Right. But she can't get off that easily because of all the things she's being sued for. And, you know, Food Network dropped her like a bad habit because <laughs> even they could see that this was a problem, and now he's rushing to her defense. Right. Like, I'm I'm like, it's like, what are you thinking right now? Well, and let's, right. and let's be honest, all of these networks and, and corporations dropped her not because necessarily they feel bad about what she did, but they're protecting their bottom black line. You know what I mean? Right, they're right, trying to make sure right. that their revenue stays up, but they're not going to invest in products that are going to be boycotted or sit on sit on the shelf. Right. Yeah. But I, I okay. think as, as a whole... I, we, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I was like, what were you going to say? Go ahead, Tisha. I think as a whole what we can do with politicians like Jesse Jackson or Reverend Al Sharpton is that we can most certainly pressure them to really expose the truth. So we don't want to hear them apologizing or standing up for her apology for using the N-word. We can hold them to the fire about the real entirety of the case and what it has to do with mm-hmm. if they are going to step up and attempt to speak for the black community. Thank you. Uh, MC, what's the next topic? Okay. Well, we're um, running on time here. So I wanted to, I, I kind of wanted to uh, jump to this, uh, this uh, album that came out recently that – Island Elf we're going to talk about on their album reviews, and obviously that was very controversial. Well, it was controversial among Christians. 
because I know no one on the line probably gave a crap about the title, which is Jesus, the latest album by Kanye. Oh, man, here we go. And whatnot. And <laughs> I, 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 can, I already know, based on the conversations that me and Vita had this past week, that this this is this is definitely going to be an interesting topic right here. Um, like I said, Jesus, uh, newest album by Kanye West. Um, a lot of folks had, had kind of high hopes for it because of uh, the single he put out called New Slaves, which uh, you know I wasn't really a big fan of. I thought it was crap, but neither here nor there. Um, what did you guys think about it? If you guys listened to it, Vita, what do you think? I guess I'll start with you. Let's go with adequate because I know okay. you listen. <laughs> All right, uh, adequate. What do you think? What do you think of Jesus? Oh man, the entire album feels like someone was literally taking a crap with the kid. you adequate. Can you speak up a little bit? Yeah, can you talk up a little bit, man? All right, brother. No, saying the album was horrible. The worst time of my life. I felt like someone was literally taking a crap in my ear. <laughs> like first song literally, I was like, wow, horrible, back. I didn't like. I mean, usually when I listen to albums that I don't like, I at least find one thing that I like about them. This album, I couldn't find anything. Nothing at all. No content. The beats were too much for me to keep up with and pay attention to. I don't know. I think it was just lackluster. Just horrible. I can agree with that 110%. Um, before I give my thoughts, uh, Deanna, what did you think about it? I didn't get a chance to listen to it. As far as the title is concerned, I think the title is brilliant. Because <laughs> when the career is plateaued, you need to have something controversial. And what's more controversial for black folks than something with some kind of religious innuendo in it? So for that, I think the title was brilliant. But yep. as far as the, um, I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. I'm pretty sure my husband will probably download it whenever, but I haven't listened to it. But I've heard it's garbage, and I kind of am wondering, do I even want to listen to it? <laughs> so, you, so you think that the title and the religious perspective was just market, good marketing? Really yeah. marketing. We got people <laughs> and- the interesting thing is, and the thing is, Kanye's no stranger to no stranger to that. If I remember, I think it was after his first album or after his second album, he had that image on, uh, I guess it was Rolling Stone or something, where he was like crucified. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I remember he had that, and then you know he caught it, and then um, he had the video for Power Off. I think it was his last album, or whenever that song came out. Um, that had all, like the the angels and the demons and the war and, and the religious imagery. So I, I agree. You know, it's it's kind of it's kind of brilliant on on his part. You know, he's a, he's he's been a controversial figure his whole career, and right now he's just he's just playing into it. It seems like. Well, you, uh, I want to get to the comment about the actual music on this album. Uh, I don't know. Did anyone else listen to the album besides me, Adequate, and Brooks? I did. I did listen to the album. I listened to it what as is, well. Okay, so that's Marissa and Emmeline. I want to know what Melissa and Emmeline thought. Let's start with Emmeline, then we'll go to Marissa. 
Um, honestly, um, I saying the album is garbage is a little extreme. I mean, I think if this were a new rapper and not Kanye, it would be decent or maybe just mediocre. But you expect more from Kanye because yes, he's an arrogant <laughs> d-bag, but he's also very talented, and his 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 um, preceding albums prove that. And it's like he he fell off. He knew he fell off. So he tried to get the most inflammatory um, um, album image and name possible in order to generate sales. So the fact of the matter is when black people think about Jesus, they don't think of a black man, and they certainly aren't thinking about Kanye. And, you know, any publicity is good publicity, right? And that album needs all the publicity he can get because it's it's just not up to the level of talent we're used to from him. Right. Well, what would you rate it between a one and a five? What would you say it was? Four and a half. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> oh. No, oh, okay. so you said between one and five? I said I thought you said between one and ten. Um, oh, no, one and Between five. one and five, probably one and a half. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know, me and Bristol. Like I said, I thought it was, it was mildly mediocre. Um, it, it, I, I, would, I might have appreciated it more if it was the first effort from some new guy or, like, a, a street mixtape or something. I don't know. So good. I don't have to delete you off the line. I'm just glad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Put it on mute. <laughs> Put you on mute until the next album review. No, uh, Marissa, what did you think? Yeah, I didn't, I had no appreciation of it. I felt, you know, as a tremendous fan that listens to multiple genres on a daily basis, I, I just felt like it was lacking in content and um, I felt like it was poorly produced. I heard uh, more than influence. I heard a lot of biting in there. And it seems like he tried to, to take a, a, you know, the exploratory angle. Like this is going to be an experimental album. But really, uh, besides my dislike of it, the one thing that I can say, you know, I will stand by him with is that he is not proclaiming to be catering to hip-hop crowd. He has stated for the last couple of albums that really he is producing for the popular music standards crowd. And it makes me question whether or not, um, you know, some of the perceptions of him talking to black people is accurate because I would estimate that the majority of his audience are young white teenagers and maybe even college college age that, you know, are listening to those popular standards music. I think that's true for most MCs today though. Yeah. The popular ones anyway. Well the popular ones say, are so between one and five, what would you say? Yeah, I you know, in my most generous manner I would give it a one, but you know, I, I just <laughs> honestly I thought the whole album was a wreck. And it wasn't there. There weren't any substantial quality aspects to it that I could pinpoint or enjoy. Um, you know, listening to it just it it was a major failure in my opinion. Yep. You know, I, and, and me and Brooks are about to weigh in right now. Um, I agree with everyone for the most part. I don't agree that I would have liked it from a new artist, Emmalyn, only because I hate that his entire style. I hate. I hate that style. I hate that fake techno electronica BS. I thought when I first met, 
I mean, y'all saw Atticus review was harsh. Let me no, tell you. I'm, I'm, I'm um, going to believe uh, that everybody needs to step away from the auto-tune, and that means everybody. Kanye, yes, Lil Wayne, everybody needs to leave the auto-tune alone. Like, we've had enough. I agree. And I, I just let me just say, when I first heard it, and I'm sure anyone who is my Facebook friend saw that I I posted as my reaction. It was, uh, what the F? What is this? Oh, my God. <laughs> I would be like, oh, one of the interesting it's probably the worst hip-hop album I've ever heard. And by that, this, let me tell you how bad it was. I would rather listen to a Waka Flocka, Soldier Boy, 2 Chain collaboration than to ever Ooh, listen Soulja to that. Oh, Soldier Boy? That's the ultimate diss right there. I was like, oh, I'm just telling you. That's Soldier Boy even alive still? <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> No. I, I think so. That is how bad it was. That is how don't, bad. Don't say his I name too much. He might come out. Hold <laughs> <laughs> okay, right now. <laughs> so I mean, that's my review. And the thing that tripped me out the most is that I was reading the reviews from various websites and 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 uh, some some even that I find pretty reliable in, in regards to album reviews. But it was like nobody wanted to be honest. I mean, seven out of nope. ten. Three point five out of five? Are you are you kidding me? Like seriously? I think everybody does that. Yeah. Like in, in their career, whether it's acting or music, I believe everybody reaches a point in their career where they become officially untouchable. You reach such like a notoriety that everyone's afraid to criticize you. Like I'll say this, and it's probably really unpopular, but I believe that when you know before Jay Z was the Jay Z international Jay Z. He was better, and he had to be because he was trying to come up. He was thirsty and hungry yep. still. And when you are when you are trying to fight to prove yourself, you do better. But when everyone tells you you have arrived, and everyone treats you the way you've wanted to be treated, and sees you the way you've wanted to be seen all along, then it's like I can relax now. And for some people, complacency equals mediocrity. Yep. Uh, but let's let's be let's be real with the let's be real with the marketing because I don't think it's so much uh, you know the godlike celebrity that puts people in a, in a place of fear to to like give an honest review. I think it, again it comes down to the bottom line and you know when you get an artist like Kanye or Jay Z that have you know this mass mass audience. You know mag- magazines and subscriptions are looking at the number of ads that are going to be placed in their in their publications for that record, and if they give you know a good review, then there's going to be more money spent with them in that publication. Yep. Hmm. I agree. Yep. I agree. MC, where are we going next? Or did you have? Oh, you know what? I don't think you gave your official review, MC. MC Brooks. Man, I well, I if I I'll start with my rating, okay. For me, just on the just on just on the first song alone, I deducted four points because I don't know what the heck that was. Yeah. <laughs> he said I deducted four points. You, so he already started at a one. So right now he's about to go into decimal ter decibel <laughs> decimal territory if the rest of the album wasn't on par. That first that first track sounded like R two R R two D two trying to violate an IBM computer. It was it was wow. Garbage. You know what's funny? When I heard it, I, I was did so think of R two D two. That's so funny, but I didn't think about it. <laughs> I thought about R two D two, but it was like um, 
Kanye started off with something that was sort of R two D two ish, and then he went bipolar and did something different. I don't know. Yeah. It's in one song. I heard like three different beats in one song. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I this is something I've noticed from Kanye for a really long time. Um, and, like, there was this one video he put out a few years ago from a a, a, a past album. I cannot remember the song for the life of me. Um, the model, supermodel Sarita Banks was in the video. Um, and she she was kind of like this phoenix in the video. Please, someone, bring me the title. Is it Flashing um, Lights? I, I think it was Runaway. Oh, oh, yeah, run away, yeah. Okay, I saw the video, and it was beautiful visually, but it made almost no sense. And everyone was like, this is amazing, this is the best thing I've ever seen. And I'm like, this is a music video version of The Emperor's New Clothes. It has no (laughs) real story, but everyone's on it because Kanye is trying so hard to be deep and existential, and I think that's That's where he failed with this album. Like I'm going to be deep and as except and as essential, and it just came off like mediocre and really lame. <laughs> right, he's playing off the fact that if you, in, as far as radio is concerned, as far as mainstream music, everything is starting to sound the same. So he's like, you know what? I'll be alternative, <laughs> and he's playing off the fact that he's just like, well, they'll just, you know, I'll just be alternative and people will buy it. And that's really what he sounded like. And yeah. Emily, Emily brought up a great point about. You know, complacency equaling uh, mediocrity for some. Because I've never thought Kanye was a great rapper. He's he he's a phenomenal producer. He's been in he's been an okay, sometimes above, sometimes below average rapper over his career. Like all falls down, above average. This album, crap. But I, I, I have a question. his talent as a producer because having followed his career from the beginning. I don't really hear anything very original or extraordinary from him. I mean, his samples are really complete hooks. I've never heard him take a literal sample and transform it into a new song. But, but more. I would just say, I would just say, I I say it as a producer, phenomenal. As far as like when I think of um, like B or Finding Forever, how he would take he would take samples, he would replay them. He would he would replay them with new instruments, or he would take he took um, on a couple tracks like uh, I believe on It's My World, for example. He took it was a Dilla instrumental, and then he composed then he start he composed part of the piano part that happened at the end of that track. But those also, did, those also weren't his original productions. He had a team of four other producers underneath him, you know that that did that. And yeah, as an example, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm agree with her. I feel the same when people say like Diddy is a great producer. I'm like, didn't he sample every song from the from the from the from the, from the 80s and early 90s? Like every wow. one. And then he jumped onto the songs and say "Bad Boy Baby," and all of a sudden, yeah. it's, it's a hit. <laughs> take that, take that. So basically, he was Swiss. He was Swiss Beats 1.0. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I definitely, you know what, I've also actually heard a lot about Kanye stealing beats from his, uh, like, interns or, like, young people that are working for him, and I, not just him, I've heard other producers have done the same thing. I don't know how, I don't know the validity of those things, but I, just rumors, but I don't know. No, I, no, there's I, truth I, to that. I, 
There's yeah, truth to that because there were there was rumors for a, a really long time that he produced the song "The Coolest" off of uh, Lupe Fiasco's "The Cool" album, and it sounds like a Kanye beat if you listen to it. But it, and he got credited for it, but it's not his beat. Mm-hmm. He didn't he make is. that. Do you know who it was? Uh, I don't. I don't remember offhand. And then the the original producer, he has credit for it now. But I remember at the time here, like when that song first dropped, like it was like the cool produced by Kanye West. I really want cool. to think. Uh, I think we're gonna wrap up this segment. MC, did you have anything else for us? Um, just the the Born Center review. If you wanted to still do that or not. Did anyone here listen to Born Center? That's the new J Cole album. No, I haven't got a chance to do it myself. All right, I'm going to listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, go pick it up. It's great. That's all you know, I'll say. I, I will say about J. Cole is that I, I like to hate on him right now, but the truth is that I do hear a little bit of potential in him for becoming a really good rapper, and I would like to see him grow and to see where he goes. Like right now, I don't think he's there just for my own personal taste, but I think that there's potential there. I agree. Yeah, I think he's. I, I 100% agree, and I think he needs to develop his content a little bit better. I mean, I think he, right now when he's young, he's talking about himself a lot on this album and obviously has issues with women. But I think that he needs to talk about something, I think, a little bit more meaningful. I didn't really get too much meaning out of this album, even though it's very, um, it's like, it's like with his journey through hip-hop and his growth through hip-hop. I mean, the whole album, you hear various samples from songs that we've heard that are, you know, historic classic songs in hip-hop. Um, you know, I heard Slick Rick, I heard Tribe, I heard Biggie, you know, and I think that's definitely his journey through hip-hop. And, I mean, I actually enjoy his left uh, let my soundtrack. I know Brooks didn't enjoy that song, but <laughs> I like that song. Um, but I agree with you uh, wholeheartedly when you say that, you know, he has potential. He has potential. Now, hopefully he'll yeah. grow and he'll make some more meaningful songs. I so, agree. I guess, oh, okay. Well, let's, let's end with that. I like that. So, we're going to get into... <laughs> You and with I agree. I, I appreciate that. Um, we're gonna get into the. Oh, you know what? Let's see. Actually, Tamara, are you on the line now? Did you have something you wanted to throw in? And I want to talk about the Kanye album. You know what? I actually wanted to throw something in a while back, but I'm still on hold on the topic for uh, marijuana. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we love so I'm not playing. <laughs> We're running out of time so, um, for our first segment, so we're going to go ahead and move on to the second one. So let's give me and Brooke some time to kind of regroup a little bit. we got some good music for you. Just wait less than two minutes for us, and we'll be right back.
All right. Welcome back. I hope you guys had some time to think about what you wanted to say on this second topic regarding marijuana, marijuana laws, decriminalization, all of those interesting things. Um, I have some statistics I definitely want to get to before we even start the discuss, discussion. And while I was researching this, me and NC Brooks had a few laughs um, looking at the WhiteHouse.gov site <laughs> on this topic. <laughs> the White House has some interesting ways of, of putting out information, and we'll get to that too. Um, so this is the thing. When it comes to marijuana laws, we are African-American males. The African-Americans are definitely targeted the most. And that has never been, um, I don't think anyone has ever doubted that. I don't think anyone has ever felt like, oh, I mean, at least not in our crew. I'm sure there are people who believe that there is no issue, racism isn't, um, there there is no race problem when it comes to this stuff. And there there definitely is. Um, The ACLU has talked about this issue, and they have actually released a report, and I want to post that link um, in the chat room. I'm having some trouble right now on my browser, so give me a second. But but the ACLU has said in their report that most of the people police are arresting aren't, they're not not kingpins or anything like that. They're the people who with small amounts of pot in those places where, Marijuana has not yet been decriminalized, at least as far as possession. And 52% of all drug arrests, um, at least in 2010, were for marijuana, 52%. That means over half of the drug arrests are for weed, not for cocaine, not for crack, not for heroin, for weed. Um, ACLU also noticed statistics that over 7 million people were busted for Mm -hmm. having from 2001 to 2010, 7 million people. That's a lot of people who are getting busted for marijuana. Um, and they also say here that in 2010, cops made one pop bus every 37 seconds. And African Americans and, well, here they have black, and black people and white people use marijuana about the same rate. Actually, it looks like black people use it a little bit less than white people but they're not arrested at the same rate. In fact, um, blacks have been nearly four times more likely than whites to be arrested for marijuana possession. And I think I think that alone is enough to really just shock. I mean, I don't know, I was shocked when I found that out, like it was that high. So I want to know what you guys think. And I know Tamara is, like, extra excited, so I want to go ahead and get her in here first. <laughs> Okay, you know what, and, and, and it's not just because I, I love weed, and, and I don't smoke weed anymore because I don't live in California anymore and I don't want to get in trouble, but I I smoked weed for many, many years, for, for over 25 years I smoked weed, and I loved it, but this is the problem, we, we have a lot of, a lot of times I see on Facebook and around town or whatever, people saying, there's a drug problem in the black community, guess what, there isn't. Black people are not most likely to do drugs, as your statistic states that, you know, white people are the main, they're the primary drug users. Black people come in second, then everybody else is after us. But 
We, but over 80% of drug stings are done in black and Hispanic communities. So whereas we're not the most likely to do drugs, we're the most likely to be, to, to be targeted for drug offenses. And I don't know if you've read the book, The New Jim Crow. Um, yep. Oh, God. Yeah, right. I love uh, that book. By Michelle Alexander. Yeah, I'm in the middle of it right now. I actually, that's book. actually um, the book for our book club for Black Skeptics LA. So those of you guys who are in LA, check out Black Skeptics LA and join us for that book club meeting. So go ahead. That that book is very enlightening because a lot of the times when you when you hear things, people believe what they hear. You, the average Joe, even not some you know, uneducated idiot, the average Joe will believe that black people are more likely to use drugs and black people are more, black people are more li- likely to be targeted for certain things and they're more likely to be prosecuted, more likely to be to be um, harshly sentenced for. We're less likely to get a slap on the wrist. We are no more criminalistic than any other group of people. And marijuana is one of those things that while we consider, well, you know, black people smoke marijuana. I'm here to tell you, sweetie, I lived in L.A. for many, many years in the in the hard rock community around a bunch of white people, and they have the best marijuana from age 13 <laughs> and up. They have the best weed in town, and they've always had it. And, but they're not being targeted. That's all I'm saying. It's a good shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I want to smoke now. No, but I do think that that's, you raise a lot of good points. I mean, we are not the most likely No, there's no extreme drug problem as far as usage in, in, in a lot of our, in our communities. What happens is, you know, like you said, we get arrested more. In fact, I think Tim Wise, and I hate to always him, but I feel like that's like the person that people trust. But he talked a lot about how he, when, you know, he was in college, there was so much, he saw more drug use and cocaine use in his dorm room than he had ever seen while he was, you know, out, when he was doing some investigations for some other research he was doing. And I thought that was interesting, you know. When I was in college, well, the fact I remember the first time I'd ever seen cocaine, I was in college with white people. Well, no black person ever, told, ever showed me cocaine before. If you put a black face on anything, you will get white people to fight against it. You will get a bunch of white people in, in districts that are primarily on, on um, public assistance to vote against public assistance by putting a picture of a black welfare queen up. They'll vote against their own damn self. White people yep. on coke and meth and marijuana will vote for stricter laws against it because they know that the voting rules don't apply to them. I want to throw this to, to uh, other people on the line. Deanna, what do you think? How do you, how are you feeling about these drug laws as far as marijuana? Not even well, yeah, the marijuana decriminalization being a you know it's, it's decriminalizing in the other states, but there are some states that still pushing these. Um, marijuana possession laws, and I'm just curious what, what your take is on it. Um, pretty much what uh, pretty much what was said before me. I think that it's just another means to keep you know stuff that illegal. They come up with less and less things to mess with you know minorities in the inner city. With if they if if, if marijuana was legal, then you know, what 
What was narcotics? Most of, a lot of narcotics cases is petty possession stuff. So if he got rid of that, then that's a lot of as far as like in the in the inner city. And I'm sorry, I have my my daughter. I'm trying to keep her quiet because she's been trying to talk the whole time. But what the whole time was was this was like oh, yeah. Young black people, the inner city to mess with the ghetto. To as long as we doing it, it's bad. Pretty much. Yeah. Adequate. I want to give you a chance to jump in too. Um, I definitely should be um decriminalized because I don't understand why people go to jail for a knickback. Yeah. Right. They're not even if they're not selling it, go to jail for a nickname. And then you have to go to probation, classes and all it's all it's all directed towards us so they can make money. That's it. Yep. That's the bottom line. Okay. They have exactly. no way to Good. And mind you, I don't even smoke weed and I am for the application of it because I think it it destroys a lot of people's, you know, futures and stuff and over something that they decide that they enjoy doing. And I think right. that the government has no right to decide what, especially for adults, they have no right to decide what an adult does with their health. So they want to smoke, let them smoke. Mm-hmm. Right. What's, Interesting what's enough, you know, they're all about personal responsibility except when it comes to, you know, drug use. Yeah, but most people that right. smoke weed, you when we they want to stay home and eat or play a video game. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, drug use is the easiest thing to target, though, because you can target it. You can use it as, as an excuse to target a certain group, and that's yep. the only reason why they care. Because if you wanted to really do some big drug bust on cocaine, go to Hollywood Hills on a Saturday night and crash one yep. of those mansion parties. You will get yep. so much cocaine, your head would spin. But no one's ever going to do that because they they use these these laws specifically to target colored people. Yep. Can, can I, I agree? Yes. So I I just, into knowledge, uh, touched on something that I think is really at the heart of this. And he says, I'm assuming it's a he, I'm sorry if I'm I'm wrong. Drug drug laws help to facilitate the prison industrial complex. And and the history behind marijuana is that it was legal back in the day. And actually it was Texas in the 60s that enacted a law against it under the guise of hemp was being produced at mass amounts earlier than the 60s and was challenging the paper industry. It was a cheaper crop to grow, and it had it yielded many more uses and results than traditional paper. And so that group originally lobbied to outlaw hemp. But in, in the years following that, it became easy to target marijuana because the vast majority of minority groups in Texas were not only using marijuana, but also selling marijuana. And that's what triggered the, the, um, the, 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 the right to outlaw it, according to conservative thought. But really, and let's be specific. It was targeting black and Mexican-American, blacks and Mexican-Americans and Mexican immigrants. But really what's at the heart of the anti-drug laws, because none of it is about rehabilitation. What's happening is we have a a, a private private prison industrial complex 
that profit, this is after their expenses, they profit $2.9 billion every year from their private prisons. And in fact, in 2008 alone, they spent $2.7 million lobbying for drug yes. criminalized. And so it behooves them to target something that's widely used, which is marijuana, and, and put, as Adequate said earlier, put somebody in their jail for a nickel bag. Yeah. Yes. And I think that's, that's an important point to talk to, to touch on that you first brought up, which is the prison industrial complex, um, well, you, which you just talked about now as well. But it's interesting that this is never put up for question for people who are like, oh, no, marijuana is bad. It makes you, lowers your IQ and gives you all kinds of horrible diseases. You know, all the propaganda that's out there that's BS. And it's always asked, you know, it's interesting that you say that, but soda's totally legal. Um, Doritos are totally legal. Nobody questions those things. Alcohol is totally legal. Nobody questions you know, those I, things. All of a sudden, it's about harmful. It's harmful to your body. But nobody says, well, you know, it's interesting. You don't go to jail for a bag of Doritos. You don't go to jail for alcohol. You go to jail for something that's less harmful than both of those things. Well, that's what and I was thinking, really too. Like you said. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, that's what I was, was, was thinking about all of this, not just with marijuana, but with drugs in general, is that, yeah, it's harmful and, yeah, it's addictive, but so are coffee and so is alcohol. Right. Um, and, you know, during Prohibition era, alcohol people who consumed alcohol were criminals. Now people who consume alcohol are normal, and the people that have an alcohol problem are alcoholics, and alcoholism is no longer seen as an addiction but a quote-unquote disease. And not right. only is this criminalizing drugs harmful to that person if they get locked up, but it's also harmful to the person that knows they have a problem and want to seek help because now we have demonized their addiction. Um, whereas alcohol right. is an acceptable addiction, drugs are not an acceptable addiction. Right. And my issue with drugs has always been with drugs, with marijuana and all drugs, is that there are two huge things that people don't take into consideration. The first is not only that this person is being locked up for this. Okay, regardless of whether or not or, or, of of what the law is, if you have a nonviolent offender and you place them in a prison population with violent offenders. Who do you expect is going to walk out of that prison and re-enter society? And why do right. drug offenders get more time than, you know, child molesters? Right. Or, and men for You know, it's funny that you bring up the prohibition because during the prohibition they had this huge crime wave because they decriminalized something and then prosecuted people to the fullest for for associating themselves with it and then all of a sudden when they're when crime goes up they had an italian problem much like their black problem that they're having right now and it's not really that problem the problem is is that you have created it's it's all in your head what you can create crime we all know what crimes are not good the crimes that hurt people but to say prostitution and and drugs are, are crime that hurt people it really doesn't people are going to do what they're going to do and they use it to target it they 
get everyone to get on the bandwagon because the Italians are going to come in and, and take over your businesses and, and the blacks are going to rape your daughters. And that's how they get people in on it. it the funny the funny thing, my, my father-in-law is a white Southern conservative Republican. And he told me that when he was a kid, the reefer madness generation, he was so afraid of marijuana that he tried hard drugs like cocaine and acid because he was afraid of what marijuana would do to you because of the whole reefer madness thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, every time someone says decriminalizing drugs is going to harm society, I just say, look at Portugal. They have decriminalized all drugs for over a decade now, and their society is thriving as a result. And people who who actually have addictions and don't just do drugs recreationally can seek help in in, in, in an unstigmatized environment. Exactly. Right. Then they do that in Sweden, too. Say that again? I said I think they do that in Sweden, too. If you have a drug addiction and you want to get off it, they'll they'll assist you with that. Yeah. Well, that's because, you know what, it's interesting because if you address drug addiction as a public health problem instead of a criminal problem, you're going to get better results, period. You're yeah. going to help that's people true. actually kick their addiction. You're going to actually help these families. That's not what people want. That's not what the goal is here. The goal is to fuel the, pu- the prison industrial complex. That's the goal. Otherwise, why, are these, why is it still illegal? Why is it still a criminal act to... Do not even just marijuana, but any drug. Why is that a criminal act if it isn't for anything other than to fuel a, a prison industry? And the thing is this: the reason why I believe that 52% of arrests for drug offenses, um, I'm sorry, yeah, 52% of arrests for drug offenses are for marijuana is because it's highly used and it's easy to target. Too many people smoke it or use it in some way, so you can target that group because you know it's most people don't find it harmful. Most people. Uh, enjoy it and it's recreational most of the time. So they're like, oh, here's a key place to really increase our prison population. That and the educational system. But that's a whole other show for another day. <laughs> right. And knowledge, there are no statistics that show, you know, relatable crimes linked to marijuana in the in the equal sense as alcohol or hard drugs or things throw in all sorts of accident statistics and, um, and, you know, all the other things that lead to, you know, to support that habit, robbery, burglary, and all that sort of stuff. But there, there, as far as I know, I haven't seen any sort of study that supports marijuana being linked to that level of criminality. But it's even then, it's like, let's say, let's say, um, I mean, marijuana making people criminal is ridiculous because everyone knows I mean, I've never even tried it, and I've seen how it affects people. Sleepy, happy, and hungry. That's it. Horny. But, you know, <laughs> and horny. <laughs> but let's say it did have some negative effect on that person's body. It affected their their, their physiology. It, 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 you know, it, it was just harmful for consumption. Like someone said, so are Doritos, um, so is coffee, so is alcohol, so is too much saturated fat. If you you cannot ban something, um, someone from doing something to their body simply because it's harmful to them. I mean, where do you draw the line? I mean, next thing you know, you're going to be saying, "Well, you can't cook with metal. You can't cook with metal blades because you can cut yourself with that knife." You know. Um, it's one of those things. I feel like if you're an adult and you want to take the and and you want to consume drugs, 
that is on you as an adult. As long as you're not forcing a minor to do it, I don't see the issue. And, and look to New York for their bans on, on salt and 32-ounce sodas. Like, at what point does right. accountability come into play? Right. And, you know, this. I want to throw this question out there. Um, for many of us who have, and I will include myself in this, supported Barack Obama for the presidency, um, how do you feel about how he has addressed this? I mean, the fact that, I mean, I'm looking even at the White House.gov website, and I can post this link, and the frequently asked questions. That's actually a good laugh because they post uh, this information. So, for example, I'll, I'll, read, I'll read you in the part where it says, isn't marijuana generally harmless? This is their frequently asked question. And, and I'm going to skip down, but it says, we also know that marijuana affects heart and respiratory function. In fact, one study found that marijuana users have a nearly five-fold increase in the risk of heart attack in the first hour after smoking the drug. Oh, a, a study what? of 400. That can't be right. That doesn't sound fake. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let her finish. Hold on, let her finish. I know you guys are excited, but let me get this. They're not even at the party yet. Um, <laughs> the study of 452 marijuana smokers who did not smoke tobacco and 450 non-smokers of either marijuana or tobacco found that people who smoke marijuana frequently do not smoke tobacco have more health problems including respiratory illnesses. Now, let's go to the first part of that. There's so a sound of the wind. Yeah, who's, who's that? Who, yeah, who's that with the wind? Okay, let's see. Oh, I'm going to find it. Oh, I found it. Okay, uh, so that was Deanna. I'm going to put you on mute for right now, and I'll unmute you a little when I finish this. But um, let me lose my train of thought. So, oh, yeah. So here we go. So, yeah, so the first, it says the first, first part says five-fold increase in the risk of heart attack. Okay. So then I go to, I was like, they post a link to the study, right? So I go to the study, and I'm like, wow, that's crazy. I've never heard of anything like that. And then I go to the study, and it says, in the determinants of myocardial infarction onset study, which is heart attack, we interviewed 3,882 patients um, with acute myocardial infarction an average of four days after infarction onset. Basically what that says is they did the study with people who had a heart attack four days before the study. <laughs> but the White House website says that it causes you have a higher increase from smoking it. It doesn't say you have a higher increase if you've already had a heart attack four days before. It specifically says it causes uh, an increase in the risk of heart attack, which is only true if you had a heart attack four days before that. And really, how do you measure that, especially considering this is a person who obviously has a heart attack? So <laughs> this is the kind of information that is on this White House website. And I'm more disturbed that they have to tell people that. That if you have a heart <laughs> attack, don't get high four days later. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what the study says. The website, or the White House website, does not say that. I'm going to post this link right now, actually, because I don't know if you guys really believe me. And I wasn't even the only one. It was in the, even the part about more health problems, including respiratory illnesses. And when I went to the actual study, or at least the abstract of the study, it said that, first of all, it said that, that it was 
not a, it wasn't statistically significant to even, you know, say that there's an elevated risk. But it, the study doesn't even talk about people who smoke weed and have respiratory problems. It's talking about people who go to the hospital. It's just basically people who have who go get treatment or for whatever respiratory problem. It's not even marijuana causes it. It's that these people don't need to have already have a respiratory problem. It's just it's misleading information on our own web uh, government website. And the uh, Obama administration has actually increased the number of dispensaries on medical marijuana. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, increased the number of raids on medical marijuana dispensaries. And I don't understand why this is such a important thing for the Obama administration to want to target, especially when we're supposed to be trying to decrease the amount of uh, African-Americans or not actually the people who are incarcerated for silly offenses such as this. I want to know what you guys think about that. Well, I, I think that I think that you're absolutely right when you call it misleading because the first thing that jumps out to me is that it targets smoking marijuana, and we all know that there are various forms of consuming marijuana. And so I would say that what they are, in a very misleading way, addressing there are the dangers of carcinogens and smoking. But I mean, with those statistics. As misleading as they are, be completely uh, off center if we talk about brownies. Right, exactly. That's an excellent point. Brownies, lollipops, drops. I'm in I'm in California. You guys, one reason why I know all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, so, I'm sure. <laughs> those delicious lemon um, cupcakes you can buy at the little stores. Oh. I miss L.A. <laughs> wow. You know what, though? You have to keep in Tammy's mind, though. nostalgic. I'm sorry. You know what? Obama is looking at his legacy. And I know there are things he plans on getting done before his time is up, but let's not, let's look at it realistically. Everybody's all over Obama. And, and you know, I, I think he's hot. He's a cool guy. But he is looking out for his legacy. And he doesn't want to be the Negro president who wanted everybody to light up a split. That's not what he wants his legacy to be. And that's why a lot of the decisions he makes is not what he thinks is best for him, his family, or anyone else, but for his legacy. Because that's what it all boils down to. to. What you're going to remember about um, Lyndon Johnson is not going to be what Lyndon Johnson did or said or how he was. He was a big old redneck. His legacy is that he fought and went against everything to fight for things, and ultimately, that's what we remember him for, his legacy, and not for what he said. And Obama doesn't, I mean, people say he should look out for black people a little bit more or what's going on with us. Not if it's going to affect his legacy. He's not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think it's easy because um, um, we are black to forget Although um, we are targeted more, that when the average young white male goes to goes to prison, it's for drug offenses as well. Um, and you know, lives are ruined, like someone said earlier. So, as much as this issue um, affects us more, it doesn't affect us only. Um, so, um, I think it was you, Tammy, that said you put something with a black face on it. And black people will go, uh, and white people will go against their own interests. 
simply because there's a black face attached. And um, I believe that it's not only that, but once you attach a black face to a certain issue, black people sort of embrace that issue as their own personal cause. Yeah. Um, just like in that same manner. And people keep forgetting this is something that affects all Americans. There are more people incarcerated in this country than that we have the world's largest prison population. And it's crazy because this is the land of the free. America has the world's largest prison population. And our prison population does everything. They make shoes. They make aglets. And for people who don't know what an aglet is, it's that little piece of plastic on the end of your shoelace. They make license plates. And for almost nothing, for the same price as, as the labor that we outsource from Thailand and Bangladesh, except we're not outsourcing it. We have a prison population. We have a population of strong, mostly male, and, you know, between their 20s, between the age of 20 and 45, strong, healthy male workers there, you know, who have no choice but to do this work. And, it, it, and, and you know, people talk about the economy all day long, but, you know, the worse the economy gets, the, 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 the more strict these laws will become in order to make the, the, the prison population larger in order to make up for it. You know, you, you, I think you hit the nail on the head when you start talking about the population because the very real statistic of America is that we represent one-fifth of the entire world's prison population, yet we are only one-fifth of the entire world's population. What does that say about our nation? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, the consumption of resources here is enormous. Um, you know, the United States only has, I believe, it's 4 or 5% of the world's population, but we consume, consume 25% of the world's resources. Um, so, and, it, you know, those aren't all natural resources. You know, this is, this is consumption of material um, resources as well. And who's going to keep us supplied in those things? I mean, people think that immigrant or illegal labor is cheap. No, the cheapest labor is prison labor. And you keep the prison stocked with healthy, um, strong young men, and you won't have a problem. And this is what these laws are really about, because we hear stories about kidnapping and rape and domestic abuse every single day. But but it, it's so concentrated because um, communication is so easy. We think these things are constantly happening in this country, but they're not. Not everybody is a kidnapper, a rapist, a wife beater, a child molester, but a great deal of people are using drugs or have used drugs. And it's easy to find those people and arrest those people, especially right. in poor communities because right. they're poor, you know, they're probably minority. It's not like they're, doing, they're contributing anything. So lock them up so they can be of use. Right. And who's going who's gonna to listen to them when they say that it's not true? They're gonna, no one's going to listen. Right. And not only that, you know, again, I would reiterate that it, it is a class war issue in the sense that you know, the working class has less access to legitimate representation and oftentimes statistically are less educated about their rights and how to go about, you know, enacting them. So they are a very, very easy target, and it equates to, I, I can't remember who said this earlier, but, you know, the fact that, that young white men are also a part of that prison population. I would say that the real target that we're talking about is the lower class 
Well, that's true, but you have to keep in mind that when you say ghetto or thug, that means black or Hispanic. And when we white think, people, we think, when, we think that it does because of the stereotype, because reality. Well, what I'm saying is, is when you say that to society, it's kind of like when you, when a British person, when you say I'm from America and they go, which America? The America you're thinking of. And when I say ghetto, I'm talking about the person you're thinking of. You're thinking black. And a lot of times that's the case in society. White people have white trash, trailer trash to disassociate themselves. But black people have acting black and being black to associate ourselves with only negatives. No, no one gets a pat on the back for uh, sounding like me is, is not a good thing. Sounding like me and liking the music I like is not a good thing in the black community. You oh, get targeted yeah. for that. And the fact of the matter is is that when you have a situation where you have people who associate negativity with being black, but white people have made sure that when you say something negative about white people, you have a tagline on it. You don't say acting white. You say acting like white trash. Right. But when you say acting like black trash, you say acting black. Not right. you. I'm saying society, and yeah. that kind of screws us in the long run. Yeah, I agree. I want to give people a chance. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. I want uh, people who are listening to see the chat room is buzzing. I, I want you guys to feel free to call in. Um, our call in number is three one zero nine eight two four two seven three. And I appreciate those of you guys who are on the line, but I want people who also feel strongly about the topics I want to call in, don't be afraid to call in. And if you do call in, you have to press 1. Otherwise, I will assume you just want to listen and you don't want to speak. If you want to speak, if you're on my line now and you want to speak, press 1. That will make sure that me and um, MC Brooks know that you want to speak. So I'm sorry. Go ahead, Marissa. No, no, no. I was, I was just agreeing um, uh, and saying that the onus is on us to change that stereotype and to represent who we are individually and not be afraid to let the masses of people see that we are who we are. And, and in that sense, dispel the myth of being, and I'm doing air quotes, black. Because black is more than just a skin tone. You know what? I don't want to go off on a tangent on a different subject, but I don't really think, I think in a society where, where we live in a country where it's 12% black, to think that it's up to us or it's because of what we do that causes these thoughts is a good, it's a good out for, for people who perpetuate these negative stereotypes, or, or I'm sorry, who impose these stereotypes on us. It's, for instance, when white people say, well, black people say nigger, and, well, I can't, everyone I've met has been like that, that means that black, white people and other races are innocent victims who have no other choice but to accept negative stereotypes about black people to be true. The fact of the matter is this. It's their responsibility not to racially stereotype us. We'll take responsibility for our end, but to think that we can stop it, is just ridiculous. We can't. White and other races need to stop saying, well, one one person proved these stereotypes to be true, so they must be true. I, I agree. They have to stop saying it. I agree with you on that. It's most definitely a two-way street, but we also have to stop buying into what they sell us. And when we stop buying what they sell us, they're going to start producing products that we will buy. And and 12% is very generous 
in terms of the pop, the black population. So, you know, you, you're absolutely right that the onus isn't solely on us. But I think that just, you know, for example, by you stepping up to the plate and representing who you really are and not really sort of feeding into that, um, I think that's a good step. Having this discussion in a public manner is a really good step to helping dispel it. Is it going to happen overnight? No. But if more of us step up in this manner, it will start to affect change. Mm-hmm. Well, it will. It will I think it's like change. I think it's like Marissa said earlier, it is a class issue. And like I said, it is about keeping the prison population fully stocked and thriving and growing. Um, however, it is also racial, like Tammy said, and if it should come up, oh, if there should ever come a point where um, the majority, or even you know a small, a large fraction of those living um, beneath the poverty line are white, those drug laws will change overnight. Believe that, because then they're, they're going to realize <laughs> the people in the poor neighborhoods that were arresting for these drug crimes, most of them are white. Uh yeah, we gotta change these laws now. Well, as that's long as the majority going in prison, as long as the majority are 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 blacks and Hispanics, it like you said, it won't change. <laughs> and that the, the stray white person that gets caught up in that web, well, sucks to be you. That's pretty much what it is right now. Um, because well, I, this I country does so little for for criminal rehabilitation on all fronts, and um. You know, the sentencing is a joke, and like I brought up earlier, you have more time for possession of drugs than for child molestation or sometimes even sexual assault. Um, It's a joke. We all know exactly why you're doing this. And I have have taken true um, offense to the idea of a nonviolent, quote-unquote, criminal being tossed in a cage full of violent offenders like rapists and murderers. What do you think is going to happen in a person in that to a person in that situation? How do you think they're gonna come out of that prison? And then you're unleashing that trauma and violence back into the general population. Right. I agree. I I'd, I'd like to look at the statistics of when, you know, the five boroughs was targeted in New York and how Irish Americans overcame that stereotype because there was a point in time historically speaking when the Irish were targeted. And well, that's very I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I That's very simple. I'll tell you right now. All you have to do to make us overcome what everyone has overcome, every society has, is poke out everyone's eyeballs so that they don't see we're black and let us change our names to Becky Johnson. And then they can all see us as equals. But as long as you can see the difference, that's not going to happen. That's one option. I mean, Flaherty was, you know, a dirty name, too, not too long ago. Right, but what I'm saying is my my maiden name is Riley. My maiden name was Riley. I'm sure at one time it was O'Reilly. But you know what? If you change your name to Riley, it sounds a little more British. And if your children don't have the accent, guess what? They're more American youth. My husband is Irish-American. He's like third, fourth-generation American. I am American as apple pie, and guess what? He's automatically a real American, and I'm an African-American because his skin is white. So the only way – there's two ways to get rid of that. One, 
become the race of people that are the men are not considered manly but weak and the women are not considered women but docile sex slaves like Asians and I'm not saying that about them but right. I'm saying about what people stereotype them if you become that then you become the the model minority or you can you would literally have to poke out everyone's eyes so that they don't see you and change your name because Irish people changed their name. They didn't have to poke out eyes because guess what? When their name was in Seamus O'Malley, they were just white, just like everyone else. That's true. Yeah. I'm going to have to co-sign what Tamara said because so many times in, you know, my late teen years and in adulthood, I've spoken to people on the phone and on the phone, I sound like a white woman. Then I tell them my name, and they hear a French name. They assume that I'm a white European. Then when they meet me in person, they see a black woman and find out that I'm Haitian. It's a completely different story. Yes. And it's not even a matter of, I can't even say, honestly, that I have been a victim of racism that I'm aware of, but there's a stigma attached to being an immigrant. and There is a preconception in people's minds of what a black person should look, sound, and behave like. Yes. I agree. I agree. I, when I moved here, to, I moved to Arkansas recently, and I'm buying a house, and I decided to rent an apartment until my, I get the closing on my house. And I called some place, and they told me about the apartments for rent, and I got there, and the lady literally goes, well, the guy's going to come. So she told me the guy's going to come and look for the place at the place, and he might take it, and I promised him first dibs. But if he doesn't take it, you have second dibs. I get there, and she goes, a guy's already coming to look for the place, so sorry. And then I was like, oh, well, anything else? Nope. I went to the car. My husband walks in, asks for, asks for an apartment. They give him an address to their other property, told him that they'll put his name on the waiting list for the place. It was a totally different situation within 15 minutes. So, yes, there, there's more. The idea that people say, well, other people dis had discrimination and they got past it, they got past it because it was harder to point them out. It's never going to be hard to point oh, us out, ever. Yeah, I've seen that a lot, especially. Track with the, oh, I'm sorry. I want to kind of get us back on track with the, specifically the marijuana discussion. There was something else that was said, and I forgot who said it. But um, I want to point out the reason why I think that um, after, well, this is an issue, when I talk about issues for black Americans, um, and the reason my and my personal disappointment with Barack Obama in this isn't so much that I think that other groups are not arrested as well. They are. They absolutely are. But we are also uh, the poorest in this country. We are also high, we are incarcerated, I think, at the highest rate. Um, and even though within the immigration laws and some other things, that they're, the, prison, the prison industry definitely has their hands in the pot on, on immigration stuff. But I, I do want to say that the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed with Obama is one, he's a marijuana. He was a marijuana smoker, heavy smoker. One, two. Here's a here's a key issue. Not even necessarily just marijuana laws, but drug laws overall. Here's a key issue that would affect the black community greatly, greatly. And, and this is something that I think, and I'm not 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 just because he's a black president, but because I kind of felt like he he promoted himself as someone that the black community could trust. You see what I'm saying? So this is right. why this is an issue. And this is why I said that this is, even though this is an SAB, just 
uh, an issue for black Americans, but this is an issue where you can, it, there, you can't, he can't come out and say, all right, all right, y'all, this is for the black folks. I got this law for y'all. This is going to affect you. This is not going to happen like that. And I know, I know whenever people talk about, well, he owns stuff for the black community. That's, I know that's what they want to hear. And I don't, not keep, keep in mind, my criticism of, my criticism of Obama are accurate because there are things that have or will affect the black community positively that he has done. But when I talk about on a large scale, these drug laws will do that. And that is my personal, that's why I have a big criticism of Obama when it comes to that and when it comes to um, addressing things that will specifically help the black community. So that's, and I, I forgot who kind of made that point about it will address everybody. I just wanted to kind of throw that in there. Well, do you think that there's some truth to the fact that he doesn't want to be the Negro president that won the drugs? As his sure. life? Because every time, every time, every time shit hits the fan, excuse my French, if every time shit hits the fan, somebody, some liberal um, um, media or Barack Obama himself will insinuate or bring out some heartwarming, heart-tugging, stern little story about his single white mama. Just to remind us, right. he's not a, he's not completely black. He's biracial, y'all. I'm kind of sort of one of you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would think you of all people would know that shit is not French, but I, that's neither here nor there. What's funny is he said, "Excuse my French," and then repeated the word. That's what was funny. But you know what? Honestly, I think that Ob- the Obama thing—they—they they use the. If you get the biracial thing for Obama not really stepping forward, for two reasons: you have a group of white people that say, "Get over yourselves, he's not really black," and a group of black people that say, "I don't want to be judged by the standards of people who are overachievers, so he's not. Who's an overachiever, so he's not really black." So there's really no motivation for him to go extra black shaft kicking down some doors and doing something. But he's got the most you know? awesome setup, Tammy. He's got a white mom, okay? Um, you know, everybody loves a white woman. Then, you know, he's 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 biracial, but he doesn't look biracial. You know, he's right, not exactly right. light skin. Right. And, but wait for it, he's got a chocolate wife. So it's like I'm down with everybody, Everybody loved me because I'm I'm straddling the fence and I'm no you know one's offended. Everyone's equally represented here. I don't know who of you guys are really into the presidents, presidents because I'm a president fanatic. If there's a show about presidents or a book about presidents, I'm going to read it. I'm going to watch it. And honestly, it all boils down to one president that I can think of in recent history didn't give a crap about his legacy. He gave a crap about a person who died and said they were going to do something. And he wanted to do something for that dead MRFer, and that was John F. Kennedy. And that president was Lyndon Johnson. He was the only one who said, F my legacy. I'm doing what he said he was going to do, and I'm going to do it by any means necessary. Every other president only cares about their legacy. Yeah. Obama's no good right. Well, you know, where I usually, when it comes to discussing politics, where I usually press people is, you know, with Congress, because the reality is that the president is not the man in power. He is a man with mass influence, but the the reality of it is, is that Congress is passing the laws. They have the power to veto the president. And so when people talk about what the president is or isn't doing, I always follow up with, 
do you even know who your congressperson is, let alone did you vote for them, let alone do you know what their voting history is? That's mm-hmm. really where you affect well, I, change. And I, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm with that, and, and I'm somebody who's definitely involved in politics, and this the kind of, I mean, this is the kind of work I do for a living, literally, um, working in po- policy and systems change. Um, but, and I I don't want to let Obama off the hook. I'm sorry, I can't, because I am disappointed, and I'm very I'm with Rita on this one. I am. I agree. And, and he, I mean, yeah, he has had more drug raids than any other president when it came to marijuana dispensaries. Can I just say that I wasn't letting him off the hook either? I was saying that I that's his excuse, and I understand what his excuse is. I don't agree with it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't agree. I don't agree with the bullshit he does with that. I don't agree with that. Let I'd rather him be a Lyndon Johnson and come in and say, um, "Suck my balls, do this, that, that, and the other." Take me. I don't really give a crap. This is my last term, bitches. Now what? Is this what right, I would like guys. to see Obama do? It would be interesting to see him do that because at this point, you know, the presidency for him really is the launching of his career because when he exits that office, he will be more powerful and influential as a speaker and, you know, all the other things that he'll he'll be able to do as an ex-president. But it, it is interesting to sort of see him this term, the last two years, sort of let loose a little bit more and you know, more of his personality shine through. And I picked up cues like, you know, his jokes about smoking weed or, you know, his intro music to his, you know, to his address to the people, all that, or the, sorry, the people, the uh, correspondence dinner. I think that, you know, in a way, as slight as it is, I think that those are small cues of him being really who he is as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to say I, I have to wrap you guys We have like a few minutes Three left minutes. Yes. minutes left And we have to wrap this up But I want to let everyone know That we appreciate your participation We appreciate you calling in Special thanks to Addison, Special for coming in and being one of our guest panelists Special uh, thanks to Deanna um, And I definitely Want to thank everyone who called in Tamara, Marissa um, Emmeline and Comey, and who else? Did I forget anybody? And she works? No, just, no I don't think, so. I think that's it. Hair. That's it? Okay. Well, gotta uh, give a, thank you. You got to give a shout-out to Kim. Yes, that was next on my list. Hi, Kim. <laughs> <laughs> we have a couple of announcements. Um, I, wanted to make sure, I wanted to make sure I announced that uh, Black Skeptics L.A., has a scholarship program, and um, you guys should definitely check out that support that I have a special that I can send you guys. But, yeah, so a scholarship for first in the family, and so we have awarded those scholarships. Those scholarships have gone out to Jamie Allen, Philip Aubrey, Hugo Cervantes, Victory, and Victory Yates from Washington Prep High School and King Drew Medical Magnet in South Los Angeles, and they will receive a $1,000 scholarship. So thank you for those who donated. And there is also a quick announcement about uh, upcoming show, the Grand Unified Show coming up with Graydon Square, um, live at the Hyatt House Hotel in Seattle. So if you're in Seattle, go ahead and check it out. It's in August, August 24th. All right, I think that's it for me. Anything from you, MC Brooks? We got about no, none on this end. <laughs> All right, thank you again to everyone. 
And uh, if you have any questions, you can always hit me up on Facebook, facebook.com slash star with two R's, same thing on Twitter, at star. MC, any links for you? Uh, you can holler at me on Twitter, MC underscore B-R-O-O-K-S, or MC Brooks.Bandcamp, or just hit me on Facebook. All right. Thank you for listening to Black Free Thinkers Radio. We love you. Peace.